Good morning and welcome to what I would normally call the Monday Main Point, but it is the Midweek Main Point. We have a few of these every now and then when Monday it's not possible for us to get together, so we kind of get together on Wednesday and do what we always do uh, at, the, at the beginning or the middle of the week, and that's uh, look back at our Sunday sermon together. Um, Monday Main Point or Midweek Main Point is brought to you by Rose of Sharon Baptist Church and the pastors here at Rose of Sharon Baptist Church. I am Jonathan Hendrickson. I'm the associate pastor here, and uh, I'm joined by the rest of the pastoral staff. I got Jeremiah Custer, our youth pastor on my left, and right across from me is Blake Flincham. He's our children's pastor, and of course, our senior pastor is at my right hand here, and he's I'm his right hand man too. Uh, and uh, that's Jeff McCarthy. So um, we are in um, not really a sermon series, but the month of May has been all about uh, sort of centered around all of our messages this month. I've been centered around this uh, the the blog that you wrote, Jeff, on "Let Us Come Boldly," um, which comes from Hebrews four sixteen, um, where um, uh, where it talks about us going boldly to the throne of grace, where we will um, obtain mercy and find grace. And you know, you did a, we, we've already done a, a main point on on that message, but then. Um, the, the next couple messages you, you've done have been sort of about these people who have come boldly, right, and looking for grace. And so uh, when you asked me to, to fill in, I thought, well, I kind of want to go along those same lines. Who else came boldly, you know, and, and, and desired mercy or desired grace? And um, I, 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 ran, I forgot about this story um, that happens um, as Jesus is coming. He's, he's traveling about... 100 plus mile journey towards the end of his ministry from Capernaum to Jerusalem where he will eventually where his life will eventually end right there that's where, where well the passion week happens right where, where he'll be killed and crucified and on his way to Jerusalem Mark records one more miracle and uh, actually Mark's not the only one it's in all three synoptic gospels it's just some of the other synoptic gospels also include Lazarus I don't think Mark does um and the last miracle that he does is he heals this blind man and this blind man named Bartimaeus. And uh, Bartimaeus, is a, he's on the side of the road. He's a blind beggar. He's outside the city gates of Jericho. They've come through Jericho and they've come out the gates. And Bartimaeus, is, the Bible says, Mark says, he, he hears this crowd. He asks what's happening. They tell him Jesus of Nazareth is here. And he begins crying out at the top of his lung, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And people are trying to tell him, shh, shh, be quiet, be quiet, stop that, right? And he cries out even louder, have mercy on me, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus um, looked, stops, sort of stops in his tracks, turns around, tells somebody, call him, call him over here. And they, 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 they go to him and they say, hey, the master is, is, he's calling for you. Have courage. Get up. And the guy is so excited. He jumps up. He throws off his cloak and he get, go, makes his way to Jesus. And Jesus asks him a very important, a very important question. He says, um, uh, what can I do for you? Or what, what would you have me do for you? Right? Uh, what do you want me to do for you? Sorry, let me get this right. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man says to him, I want to see. And Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you, or go, your faith has saved you, um, depending on your translation. And uh, 
the, the tells us that he received his sight immediately. And after he receives his sight, he, he starts walking with Jesus on the road. So now he's going to go into Jerusalem with Jesus. This is right before the crowd's going to greet Jesus with all the hosannas and stuff, right? So um, really cool narrative, short narrative. But I saw in it a few things that, that I thought were important when we're talking about coming boldly uh, uh, to this throne of, of mercy and this throne of grace. And so um, this guy clearly desired mercy. And so the title of the, the sermon that I preached on Sunday was Desiring Mercy. And part of that came from, obviously, the, the, the text where this man was saying, Have mercy on me. But also, just we'll start here because it's where I started with my intro. Um, also, I just think that we are, as we're coming out the other side of this thing, and we're coming out the other side of 2020, um, it's, um, it's a disorienting process. A lot of people are uh, not, like they want to go back to normal, but they're not quite sure how to go back to normal. I mean, we just had the mask mandate lifted, and I've heard countless stories of people going, you know, I've asked, well, what was it like to go into the store for the first time without a mask? And I'm like, wow, it felt really good. And other people are like, I felt naked. You know, I didn't <laughs> feel like I felt like I was missing something. I was, you know, I'm still turning my head every time I hear someone cough or, you know, so we're skittish, right? We're, 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 we're exiting it. We're exiting this, this dark time and entering into this, this period of, of, of normalcy. And it's like the, the closest analogy I could come to for it was, uh, being in a cave. Um, I used to do a lot of caving when I was in college, and um, I mentioned in my intro that caving is a dark, dirty, and exhausting experience. It's going to be fun for a while, but it it's, you know, it's you bump around in, in there, you get bumped, you cut yourself up on rocks and such, and you don't even realize you're being cut up. And then when you go out into the light, all of a sudden it's disorienting, and, and you realize wow, there's, there's a lot of mud all over me. I got scrapes and cuts all over me. And I'm just thinking that that's part of what's happening here is that people are coming out of this cave of 2020 and they're looking at themselves and going, man, I, I feel beat up, right? I feel I need, I need something. And I think what they really want is they want mercy. They want compassion. They want love. Um, and so, um, we, we can talk about that today. And, and, um, that was neat. Um, I share with you guys that cave analogy um, that I used. I didn't realize there's an actual term called cave syndrome um, that 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 um, that uh, psychologists and scientists have actually are calling this period. I didn't even realize that existed until like later this week. I was I was looking at an article and and it just showed up and I was like, whoa, that's crazy. That's the same thing that I was talking about. And um, so it's kind of it's kind of neat that. Um, that other people are, are sort of seeing it in that same light. But let's talk, I guess, let's talk first, if we're going to talk about desiring mercy, let's talk about what we mean when we say mercy. Um, is it is it the case that you think that people right now are desiring mercy? Is that what they're looking for? Are they looking for compassion? Are they looking for love? Are they looking for something like that to help them get to the to help them reevaluate where they're at, kind of look at their, their wounds and, 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 heal up does that make sense yeah i think if you take you know that example like in the workforce you know people are probably coming back to work now they're probably getting readjusted the boss might have new ideas on 
uh, how to redo things, how to do things better. And I'm sure there's a lot of people right now who are uh, really just not really sure what's going to, how things are going to be. And, sure. you know, they're going to want mercy. They're going to want, you know, uh, like a grace period that to where they can figure some stuff out. And I think that's even the case with church sometimes because uh, especially us as pastors, we're trying new things and we're trying to reach people and we want our people to come alongside and you know we have to have they have to have mercy with us and we have to have mercy with them and i think a lot of people are desiring mercy yeah yeah I, you know i think jeff you've mentioned it too there's a lot of people who are just coming out the other side of this thing they're, they're they feel like they've been in an emotional dark place right and now they're coming back out into the light and and, and like i said i think it's um it's it's hard like I mean, you've got people who are who've really dealt with depression and things like that during this time. Yeah, um, and it's been all age groups too, from children all up to adults. Yeah, I mean, kids um, not being in schools, right? Yeah, yeah, that's caused a lot of problems. And so, so, so we've all had this shared experience of this shutdown, this pandemic, and everything that happened during that time. Uh, but also, um, some people came out okay. They didn't really have a lot of scars. You know, they're ready to get get on with everything. Other people experienced tremendous grief and loss and suffering. You know, they lost loved ones to the um, to the virus or uh, maybe their loved one was in the hospital for an extended period of time. Um, people lost their jobs. Yeah, I mean, go uh, back. Even marriage. I mean, so, so even though we're coming out of this, like you said, the scars and the wounds and stuff are still there. So people may not really know that they need mercy and grace right now. Maybe they think they need something else. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that's a good question for us is like when we see people, it's like, you know, what can I do for you or how can I help you? Um, is there anything you experienced? You know, we just need to talk to people yeah. about the experience and then share our experience. Yeah, well, I was going to um, say, like, you, you go back and think, you know, we don't need to forget about the fact that when, we, when this thing first started and the lockdown happened, there were people who couldn't go to people's they could be there when their when their loved one was dying. Exactly. They weren't yeah, able. Yeah, we had to, to FaceTime one lady on her deathbed. Yeah, I mean, there were people were having to FaceTime people on their deathbed. People weren't able to 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 go and have a regular funeral. Mm -hmm. So there are people who lost loved ones during this that that never got the closure that you would normally get from right. going through something like that, and um, you, th that has to leave some 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 scars, uh, you know. Jeremy, when we're talking about mercy, um, I mentioned that there's two different definitions that 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 I found. One was um, one was the idea, and, and this is typically what I think of when I think of mercy in a, in a biblical sense. If I'm being honest, when I think of mercy, I think of someone who has compassion or forgiveness towards someone whom it's within their power to punish or harm. Right. So, like, uh, my if one of my daughters does something that's um, that they shouldn't have done and, and it's worthy of punishment, whatever that is, and, they're, and they, they, they ask for mercy, then mer showing mercy would be not punishing them, right? Not giving them what they deserved in terms of punishment, but showing mercy because I ha it's within my power, my authority to do so. But then this guy, and I mentioned this dude, his name is Matthew Schmaltz. He's uh, author of the book, Mercy Matters. He defines mercy this way, a love that responds to human need in an unexpected or unmerited way. And I think when, when we talk about it that way, it's, it's almost this notion of showing, not necessarily withholding punishment, but showing love to someone 
um, in an in, in unexpected or unmerited way. And that, to me, is really akin to grace, right? Yeah. Um, so This is exactly what I thought when I heard that definition. I thought maybe that's a better definition for grace. But. It is, um, but but mercy is often used in that way. Yeah. And, and sometimes so, they're used sometimes in that Right. And so I wonder if when this guy... Um, when Bartimaeus is is on the side of the road and he's, he's saying, "Son of David, have mercy on me." One of the things that I questioned when I was when I was putting this message together is, okay, so is he asking for just compassion? Is he asking for someone? What does he expect here? Is he asking for forgiveness? Um, so that's that's kind of, I mean, yeah. what do you guys think? I I never really I, I didn't. I didn't take one stance or the other because I think it could be one or the other, um, but we, we can talk about it here. Yeah, it's a gut, gut reaction when someone says, have mercy on me, you assume, or at least I assume that it's in response to some sin. Right. And so maybe it's because his culture was teaching that because he's blind is because of either his sin, or, and we know that from other texts in the Bible, either his sin or his parents' sin. Right. Um, and so he thought that his or he thought that his greater need was was sin um, and that it was the sin that was causing his blindness or specific sin. So he would cry out for mercy in that way. I think I think here, yeah, like you said, it's more just a general like like he's a he's a blind beggar. He's desperate. And what I'm what I'm. What I'm catching with the sermon series we're going through is I'm seeing more uh, that boldness actually equals or or equates to or leads to desperation. Mm. The yeah. more desperate you are, the more bold you mm. are. Yeah. That's good. That's and good. so I think I think this guy here he's just desperate, and so he approaches Jesus with boldness and cries out for. Because if you're a blind beggar, or if you're a beggar. Really, you're you're looking for mercy all day, every day, right? I mean, you're at the mercy or the grace of of those who are willing to give you things that you don't deserve. Yeah, every day, and right? You're not out there earning your. You're not out there earning these monies, and you just have to depend on people to give them to you. Yeah, out of the yeah. goodness of their heart, right? Um, out of their character. It yeah, it's really nothing to do with your character or your status. You're just hoping that there's good people out there to, to, to give you things. You know, it's, it's, it's very possible that this guy, you know, have mercy on me might have been a call that he said frequently to other people that passed by him. Yeah. But what I think makes this a more powerful have mercy on me is what he prefaces have mercy on me with, which is yeah. Jesus, son of David, mm. yeah. have mercy on me. And when he's saying that, he's... Proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah, the one, the He is the seed of David who has come to save Israel from their sins, right. save the world from their sins, obviously. But He is that chosen one. He is that one that is going to come and save. Yeah, which brings up another interesting thing. That, that it's the same thing that I asked with the uh, with the mother and the with the demon possessed daughter. Um, how does this guy like this guy's in Jericho? How does he know that you know? How does he know he's the Messiah? Why you know? Why would he believe that he's the Messiah? Does has, has, somebody had to tell him, right? Yeah, yeah, probably just the word of mouth, mouth of people that had been to either Galilee or the Jordan or Jerusalem, so somewhere where they heard teaching. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he probably couldn't travel being a blind man, but he, when he heard about Jesus, 
the interesting thing, you know, when he started crying out for mercy, uh, verse 48 says, Then many warned him to be quiet. So even even in his desperation, like you when you were saying that, maybe these people heard him cry out all day long. Have mercy on me. And, you know, that's kind of what beggars do. They, they, they kind of like wear you down. Right. If you've ever been on a third world mission trip, you know that they tell you put your blinders on, don't speak to anybody because they're going to keep begging and bothering you to you actually give them something. And once you do, you open up the floodgates for yeah. right. Then everybody so, else knows this guy's got something to give. So, and all yeah, to so you. this man is crying out to Jesus. And when they tell him to be quiet, he cries out even the more. But he does use the messianic titles knowing that these people, the only thing they could ever give me was, you know, coins or something. Mm-hmm. But if I'm really going to get what I really need, it's this person I've heard about. Right. This Jesus person. Yeah. That they're calling the Messiah. I need him. I need mercy from him. Right. That And, 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 and that that's exact. That's that's the way I saw it, too. Right. Is that yeah. like um, he realizes that like if he if he when. We'll get to it. But when Jesus asks him, we know what this guy really wants because Jesus asks him. Mm-hmm. And he tells him point blank what he wants. And and to ask anybody else that question would have been ludicrous. you know, to, Or to answer in, in that way with anybody else would have been ludicrous. I want to go back to something you said, though, Jay. That, that, um, and this gets into that first point that I made, which is those desiring mercy pursue help desperately. Mm-hmm. That, that there's a desperation. That this guy... Um, he doesn't. Um, he's in a desperate place, and actually, at this point, I, I do want to want to make a short disclaimer. I won't make a, a, a big deal out of this, but um, I, I, I think it's interesting that Mark calls this man by name. Um, but and, and the reason that's interesting is because Mark typically doesn't do that. He doesn't use names of people that Jesus healed, but in this one instance, he does. And in fact. And I think it's Matthew's gospel. Matthew doesn't name either the two, either, but he says that there's two blind people there. So it's possible that there were two, but Mark names the one. And the one that he names is Bartimaeus, um, or Bartimaeus. We call him blind Bartimaeus, right? Although I love what you said. Like, he's not blind anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know what yeah. we're calling him blind Bartimaeus now because he ain't blind, you know. He actually receives his sight. But Bartimaeus or Bartimaeus, um, anytime you have a bar in front of a word, a name, it means son of. It just means son of Timaeus. And I found it interesting that Mark says Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, which is like saying son of Timaeus, son of Timaeus. So why does he make such a big deal out of this name? And I found something that said Timaeus uh, actually gets its root from honor. And I thought, how ironic. Uh, this guy who is a blind beggar outside the city gates of Jericho is called Son of Honor, right? And it would have been ironic for that time. I want to make clear, I don't think, you know, in, in saying he's a, he was a dishonorable Son of Honor, I certainly wasn't trying to say that this man is dishonorable because he's blind or dishonorable because he's poor because all poor people and disabled people are dishonorable. It's more that the culture at the time would have certainly seen this blind, poor, destitute, helpless man outside the city gates as not a man of honor at all, but a man of dishonor. He was without honor. I mean, it's strictly in the sense of dis meaning without, so without honor. And so I always want to make that clear that I'm not talking, I wasn't talking about all blind people or all poor people or 
are people who are who are dishonorable sorts. We don't we don't associate with them. It's not like that. But that the culture sees them that way. And if we're being honest, I think the culture sees a lot of people who are who are beggars in that way. Even now, we, we you know we see them not as people who to be lauded or to be praised, but people who are without honor. Um, um, but I'm not I'm not saying that, that we you know that 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 makes that their poorness or their blindness makes them a sinner. But the people during that time would have possibly seen it that way. So this is a guy who's in a desperate situation. And yet he uses everything that uh, everything within his ability he uses to find mercy, mm. right? He, his ears still work and his mouth still works. And he's willing to use those things to, to find mercy. Yeah, I think uh, kind of a side note to his name, I think it might... There, this might be a little bit of speculation, but I think I think Mark might wanted to use his name to show that he's probably not Jewish, and the reason I say that is because Bartimaeus, or like uh, in the New Testament, there's another guy named Simon Barjona. His name means his name is Simon, son of Jonah. Right. That's a New Testament, more Greek way of referring to people's names mm-hmm. so like in the old testament it's not bar it's ben so like benjamin is son of my mm-hmm. right hand mm-hmm. or if you've ever seen the movie uh ben hur um the guy's name he's jewish and his name is judah ben hur which right. is uh, judah son of her um so that would like you would think his name would have the ben the ben uh mm. thing for son of and when you look in the Greek for, for assignment or for Bartimaeus, son of Bartimaeus, it actually uses weos, which is son of Timaeus, and then says Bartimaeus. It, it doesn't actually say Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus. It says something different in the Greek. But I think maybe Mark is trying to show that this dude's not Jewish, mm-hmm. showing even more that he doesn't really deserve what he's about to get. You know, that would be interesting, especially considering that everybody we've talked about so far that Jesus commends for their faith has been Gentiles, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we talked about the centurion, we talked about the woman and the, the Syrophoenician, and if you're right about that and this guy's not Jewish, then that's even that's even more remarkable. Which is kind of interesting, too, because the very next chapter is the triumphal entry. Right. Which... You know, I think John's gospel shows a, a lot of Greek people coming to Philip and Andrew because they spoke Greek and say, hey, we want to see Jesus. Mm-hmm. And he goes to Peter and then Peter goes to Jesus and tells him. And then Jesus says, yeah, now now the Son of Man's going to be honored because now everybody, the world's coming to him. Right. So this could, this could be possibly what Jeremiah is saying could be one person of, a, of that Greek uh, mindset that's coming to Christ now, that's hearing about Christ. That's really that, interesting because that's the next step is the triumphal entrance. I like I like that thought that um, <clears throat> that it's possible that here is yet another person outside of the outside of the Jewish circle who recognized Jesus for who he is um, and is commend and is ends up being commended for his yeah because he says son of David like the woman yeah. from uh, yeah she he uses the messianic title just like the Syrophoenician does. And uh, I, I don't, um, don't think the centurion uses that title. He just um, says Jesus was a man of authority. Of authority, right. Which technically would be the same thing. Well, that's really interesting. I, I, I like that take. Well, um, we'll go to something else that you mentioned, uh, Jeremiah, when you said... That's my sister. Okay. Um, something else that, um, that you said when you were talking about the... Uh, 
the, the the more desperate you are, the more willing you are to to be bold, right? Yeah. And this guy, I said, those desiring mercy will proclaim their need daringly, right? Or will um, be bold in their proclamation for mercy. Um, not just not just the fact that they pursue the help desperately, but that they, they go the next step and proclaim it boldly, right? Um, and I found that interesting that, that this guy, um, Jesus asks a, that question, um, what do you want me to do for you? Mm. And, um, you know, I pointed out that, that if you back up in the same chapter in, in Mark 10, you back up um, a little bit, what you find is you find the, the, the case, um, Blake, where James and John, the son of Zebedee, are, they, they come to Jesus and say, we want you to do whatever it is we ask of you. And he goes, okay, what do you want me to do for you? Same question you asked this guy here, right? Yeah. And they say, make it to where one of us gets to sit on your right and the other on your left, right? Put us in places of honor. Yeah, and Jesus in, you know, a little bit before that in Mark 10 is basically like, look, you don't have a clue what you're asking. He said, you're not able to do this. Yeah. And, but he comes to Bartimaeus and says the same thing. Like you said, what can I do for you? And he's like, I just want sight. Where Bartimaeus is coming out of desperate need, he's in the position where Jesus wants, seeing our great need for him. And, but on the disciples, they're not seeing a need in this particular passage because they're like, we just want power. It was all about them, uh, their position, their, uh, you know, to sit at the right hand before God. It was about them. For Bartimaeus, he's like, look, I've got nowhere to go. I've got to come because you can do this. It's more humble, whereas the disciples are more prideful. Yeah. 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 It, it, it seems that the disciples are asking for something for um, out, out of their abundance, right? Yeah. Like, uh, as opposed to out of their out of their real need. Um, they're not asking for mercy. They're asking for they're asking for honor. Right. They're asking for, um, for, for honor and for glory. Um, and Bartimaeus, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you to Bartimaeus? And he says, Rabbi, our teacher, I want to see. Yeah. And I he, just, I want to see. And uh, Jesus tells the disciples, yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to, be, to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be the slave of all. And here we see that, you know, uh, Jesus basically humbles the disciples and puts them kind of, you know, like, nah, that ain't happening. But you take somebody who would have been considered like in last place, and Jesus elevates them mm-hmm. and says, that's the example of yeah. faith that I want. Yeah, and it commends his faith. Yeah. So, you know, it, it strikes me, Jeff, is this, Jesus asked this guy, what do you want me to do for you? And he could have asked, he could have answered Jesus a lot of different things, right? He could have said, well, I want money. He could have said, I want, uh, can you give me food? Um, he could have said, uh, can you give me a place to stay for the night? <laughs> like he could have, but instead he asked something pretty bold, right? He says, I want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he had said, I want to see to any other religious leader at the time, it would have been, it would have been, they would have laughed at him probably. They would have scorned this guy. Like, okay, well, yeah, sure, you want to see, but, you know, I can't do anything about that. Or they would have said, you know, you need to pray more or have more faith or give more money to the... Yeah. Because, you, know, you know, when the disciples were asking, they were asking, like, hey, we deserve this position. Yeah, right? 
and and we always give John and uh, James the hard time, but you know, verse forty one says all the rest of them are greatly displeased displeased with them because you know they wanted it too. Yeah, wanted it too. <laughs> so they they're thinking we deserve this. Yeah, and Bartimaeus is like, you know, I really don't deserve anything, but if I could get something, can I see again? Right. Can I receive sight? Yeah. yeah. So it's really the only thing that. Uh, I guess for in his mind, maybe he would then be, become complete again, and then maybe he could be restored to his family again, mm-hmm. and wouldn't be a beggar anymore, and could could be a productive citizen, and all these other things that we would add to that. Right. He's not just asking just for something, because I mean, right after that, he follows Jesus. So obviously, um, you know, he, it's more than just. I want to see, it's like, I want to have a new life. Right. A new life. And I love the way that when you did the sermon, you paralleled it like with evangelism and salvation and telling the story and how we're supposed to do the same thing. I think that's, I think this is a salvation story as well as a receiving sight story. Yeah. And I was going to get into that, uh, Jeremiah, that, 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 um, I do think that because the Bible so frequently, um, pairs blindness with spiritual blindness, that there is a, a, a deeper layer to this. I mean, I don't, I don't want to over-spiritualize never want to over the Bible, rather, you know, hyper-spiritualize it. But I think the Bible kind of allows us to do that in this instance. Um, when, when, when so frequently, you know, and I, I, I cited a few of those, um, those texts, you know, that... Uh, Isaiah 9, 2, a lot is done on those walking in darkness, the Bible says. Or John 9, 39, Jesus says, those who do not see will see, and those who see will become blind. He's clearly not talking about physical blindness there. He's talking about spiritual blindness. And then 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul writes about the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. And so since the Bible, I think, allows us to see blindness in that way, I don't think it's a stretch to say that... um, Maybe this is a, this is also a salvation story. Yeah, um, I think I think um, understanding that distinction or that 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 blindness is connected with like spiritual blindness mm-hmm. is important to understand this story because you won't get the whole picture. Um, maybe I'm putting the the cart before the horse, but my favorite part of the whole story is that last two sentences. Um, so when Jesus says, he literally says, go your way, mm-hmm. your faith has made you well. Mm-hmm. And so he tells him to go go like your way. Like, mm-hmm. like right, go. Get on receive what I gave you. But then what he does is, and immediately he recovers his sight and then followed him mm-hmm. on the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it doesn't go his way. He starts going Jesus's way. Right. Yeah. Which I think is a, a important distinction to, to see that it's not just about because if I had received my sight, I would probably and I was in his position. Just practically speaking, I would go try and find a job or a means to fit into society and to begin earning my own wages and those types of things because that's what was we assumed that's what was keeping him from being able to do those things. But no, he just he begins to follow Jesus. Yeah. He doesn't go and do all of that. So he could have asked for money, and I, I don't know if Jesus would have given it to him. I, I don't know. Um, but that's really why he we think he wants his sight so that he can have money. Right. But that's just how we think. Right. Um, 
So why not just not ask for sight? Just go ahead and ask for the money. Mm-hmm. So then he doesn't even have to work for it. Right. He'd still be blind, sure. But um, but no, he just he doesn't even he doesn't go do his own thing. He begins to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's important. You know, when you mentioned that Isaiah passage, mm-hmm. it made me think about what he talked about with the guy being perhaps Gentile, or yeah. perhaps maybe his father was. Jewish, his mom maybe it was Gentile. We just don't know. Right. We don't but know if he had a Gentile Gentile connection, he's blind. Mm-hmm. So he's, it's a fulfillment of that passage you just read. Right. Yeah. So that that added a little. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. So, sorry, I jumped over. No, you're good. You're good. So. I think uh, something that I found really cool while looking at this passage is, who knows how long Bartimaeus was blind for? Maybe. 20, 30 years. Who yeah, knows? we don't know if he was yeah. born blind or if he was, or if he acquired blindness. Right. We, we really don't know. The Bible right. doesn't tell us. And if he was born blind, uh, the first thing he sees, the first literal thing he sees is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I'm just thinking about, and even if he, even if he grew into his blindness, it had been a while before he had seen something. And then the first thing he sees is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but to think of the passage of Scripture that uh, Jesus is talking like the Pharisees and the Jewish people saying, look, the prophets and the, your forefathers long to see the things that uh, you see today. Right. Uh, you know, y'all are ungrateful, but Bartimaeus gets this, the first thing he gets to see is Jesus. Yeah. You know, the God that the prophets and the forefathers long to see, Abraham longed to see. Yeah. And he gets to see him first. Yeah. Thing. I yeah. think that's awesome. That is cool. You know, um, the the one of the one of the other things that stood out to me, and it, it goes along with what you were saying, Jeremiah, is this guy, um, the fact that that immediately he can see and he begins to follow Jesus on the road, he becomes one of those in the crowd, the same crowd that just helped him out, right? Because mm-hmm. Jesus, that was something else that stood out to me about this is that when Jesus does acknowledge him, Jesus doesn't go over to him. He could have. Jesus, I mean, the, you know, presumably the guy wasn't that far away from him. Jesus could have walked over to him, but Jesus involves the crowd, right? Which is what he always does. And, you know, he, he, you know, he involves us in the mission. He commissions us. And so he commissions someone in that moment, and he says, call him. So that person does exactly what Jesus tells them to do. They go over to, that, they go over to, to Bartimaeus, and they say, um, have courage get up, he's calling for you, mm-hmm. right? He's calling for you. And and, um, and 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 they presumably lead him. It says he threw off his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. And so now this, now Bartimaeus has become one of those who's following, who's following with Jesus, who can now, Jesus can look at him and say, call, call him, call her. And, and, and he'll be able to go to them and say, have courage, he's calling for you, right? Yeah. Uh, Jesus is calling for you. And, and so, yes, I do think there's sort of this evangelism, this being saved to serve idea, right, that's, yeah. that's there. Those who get mercy, Jeff, um, those who desire mercy should present, I think I said, present their lives devotedly. That they, when they receive mercy, if they desire mercy and they receive it, then they give their lives in devotion to Jesus Christ. And think about... Think about, you know, when Bartimaeus is blind and he hears that somebody is calling for him, he's probably thinking, wait, somebody wants me? Right. Like, somebody wants my attention? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he wants other people here to have, feel that same way that Jesus made him feel. 
Yeah. You know, he wants other people to be changed the way that Jesus changed him. So, yeah, there's definitely an evangelistic sense here. Yeah, and it's another one of those stories, too. I mean, if you think about the story in the context, um, everybody's headed to Jerusalem anyway for the festival. Mm-hmm. That's why they're headed there. So the crowd could have been eight or nine deep. We don't know how big the crowd was. Yeah, we have no idea. So there was probably some distance between Jesus and him, and that's why he was yelling out, and that's why people were telling him to be quiet. And I guess that's why Jesus said, you know, get get that call, like bring him out of the crowd into to me, and or bring him out of the world, out of the world system, bring him to bring him to me, which is you know really parallels to the Great Commission and what we're called to do mm-hmm. to go out there and make disciples. Yeah, and you know as we open up and get out of our cave mentality, I, I couldn't help but think about you know the hurricanes <laughs> had twelve thousand people yeah in an arena. Right, and so the the guys on the sports radio I was talking about is like, you know, COVID shut down with the ACC tournament, and mm-hmm. then all sports shut down, everything shut down, and now they feel like now things are open again, especially mm-hmm. here in North Carolina with twelve thousand people in a, an arena. Yeah, so obviously a lot of people have come out of the cave, mm-hmm. the crowd, and there's still those that that may be like Bartimaeus that are getting lost in the crowd. And so for us as Christians, you know, we need to make sure uh, we don't just, we just don't really focus on the crowd and the, and y'all come and, you know, the people that are showing up or, or have got it or, but, and then forget about the blind person that, that we can't see beyond the crowd. Right. That there's still people out there that need us to minister to, but more importantly, not just the pastors, which is, our operation uh, mode of operation before the pandemic mm-hmm. we bought into the church church culture now now it's the people individually in their neighborhoods and their workplaces and all you're the ones really that are going to come in contact with the blind Bartimaeus more than we will right and so it's so important for us to really find out from people you know their story if they need prayer if they need something you know ask them talk to them because I guarantee you if I was lost during this pandemic, I probably would have Googled Jesus or God or salvation or mm-hmm. prayer or something like that, too. I yeah. would be looking and searching. So I believe people really are. And I think I think a lot of people don't know they need mercy and grace. Yeah, They may think they need sight. They may think they need a job. They may think they need food or whatever. But really, they need, they need Christ. Mm-hmm. And so I think this will give us such a huge opportunity going forward if we can just convince our people um, to be like these people yeah to go find the blind Bartimaeus and bring them to Jesus well and I think part of that goes to to something I've heard I heard you say Jeremiah that in your in your uh, student life group you guys were talking about this and you focused on the fact that you focus more on on the, the the fact that this guy's a blind beggar right because what what we're tempted to do whenever we hear stories like this is we forget that we all were once in that same position, that we all were once blind beggars. All of us were in that position. We weren't always in the crowd, right? Mm-hmm. We weren't always the ones in the crowd. We were at one time or another just as desperate as Bartimaeus is. Yeah, I mean, and maybe you're still there, right? I think sometimes... We forget we were there, or maybe we're still there, and we just don't see ourselves as that way. Because 
anytime I hear a story like this, I want to put myself in the story. Um, and so I'm like, maybe I'm the disciples, maybe I'm in the crowd. No one wants to be Bartimaeus. Mm-hmm. But clearly it's it's the mentality or the position of Bartimaeus that drives him to seek mercy from Jesus. Right. <clears throat> and so we need to see ourselves as blind beggars. I mean, we're so desperate. I mean, even now, I'm still desperate. And what I mean is, if Jesus doesn't come through for me, for my salvation, I don't earn it. I don't receive it. So, mm-hmm. like, if Jesus doesn't come through, if he doesn't grant me salvation, then I don't get it. But obviously we know Jesus does grant us salvation and has granted me salvation. Um, but I, I'm still desperate. I'm, I'm leaning solely on him. I'm not leaning on anything I do. Because what happens is if, if we believe we can earn it or we believe we can work towards it, when we get desperate, all we do is work more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just like in life. When when you start running out of money, you feel like you're not earning enough, all you do is go out and work more. You right. go do more. Yeah. But it's not that way with Christianity. We're beggars. So when you get desperate, really what you should be doing is beg more mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. ask more, right? Um, and so that's what I mean when I say that that. The more desperate you are, the more bold you are. But desperate for the right things, right? Yeah. Because, because, yes. because, um, again, I go back to that question that Jesus asked. You know, um, what what do you want me to do for you? And you know, I I think I asked this in the in, in the sermon. You know, if Jesus asks you that, if He shows up right now on the scene and He says, "What do you want me to do for you?" What's your answer to that question? Because I think your answer to that question tells you a whole lot about what you're really desperate for and what your what you what your your heart's desire is. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. good. So um, yeah, but it, I think this is just one more example of coming boldly, right? And um, I, I'm I'm enjoying this. I'm, I'm getting so much insight into into uh, into uh, this idea of of those who desired mercy, who were commended for their faith. And um, I know uh, Blake is going to be filling the pulpit this coming Sunday. Uh, Blake, do you know kind of where you're going with this? Are you, are, are you continuing on this theme? Or yeah, you... we're going to be kind of continuing on this theme of coming boldly. And uh, we're going to be talking about pestering God on Sunday. Mm. So how we can do that boldly. So want to know how? Tune in Sunday. And come, okay, cool. Come so, 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 so we're going to look at the persistent. Uh, uh, yeah, the yeah, parable of the persistent widow. From parable Luke, of the persistent Luke widow. Luke 18. All right, uh, that that's interesting. I'll, I'll be interested in hearing hearing a take on that, and we'll have a good time discussing that uh, when we get back. So this has been um, uh, this has been Monday main or midweek main point. Thanks for tuning in this week. Uh, we've enjoyed uh, talking with you, and if you enjoy these uh, podcasts, uh, share them with other people. It's pretty easy to share. You can uh, just send them the link, um, or uh, and let us know what you think. If you have questions about things we discuss in here. Or if you've got questions you would like for us to discuss, we're open to that. We can we can certainly find time and carve time out in these podcasts to, to address some of your questions, some of your thoughts, and uh, we would enjoy doing that. So that's going to be it for this week's edition, and we uh, look forward to talking to you, or not talking to you, but talking to one another, and you listening to us talk to one another next week. So uh, until then, have a great week. So long. <laughs>